This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech fan number 16, Macworld Expo, day one, part two. And hopefully you guys listened to uh, the MyMac podcast because that was part one, kind of, of our Macworld coverage here. It's uh, 2011, Macworld Expo, day one. It's Thursday, and uh, I'm back at the hotel room now. And earlier we had Guy Searle, we had uh, Mark Rudd on a show yesterday, Uh, we had Sam Levin. But right now for TechFan, it's just me, and we have Owen Rubin. Hey, Owen. Oh, that's me. <laughs> hey, Tim, how are you doing? So, so this is a little bit different. Um, we're not going to talk too much about what we saw today because, quite honestly, and I can't speak for you, Owen, but I didn't see as much as I would really have wanted to, basically because it was the first day, extremely busy. Um, I went and saw Sinbad, obviously. I'm sorry and that. Yeah, it was good. It was definitely worth seeing. And it was just really, really crowded. So I didn't get to see maybe 20% of the showroom floor so far. And I was on the floor and didn't get to see more than about 20% of the showroom floor. It was so crowded, it was really hard to move around. So there was a cool th- couple cool things to see. There was nothing that knocked my socks off. Uh, a couple people with new Pico projectors, little tiny pocket projectors. They're still a little on the expensive side, but they're about the size of an iPhone. That was cool. And I got to give the prize, and I'm just trying to find the card here for who had it. This craziest little gadget. It's a small little, shaped like a small little toy minivan. It looks like a, like a Volkswagen bus. You want me to hold that? Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. It's like a small little Volkswagen bus. And I walk up to this booth, and maybe I'll post a video on the MyMac page. Because I, I, I took a video of it, because I was sort of like staring at it like a train wreck. And it's sitting on a record going around a circle really fast. And it's like... Then I realized when it got quiet, it was actually playing the album. <clears throat> so I picked it up, and there is a needle underneath it on a little arm. And when you play, place it on a record on a table, this will go around your 33 and a third RPM records and play them. It was 99 bucks. It's a little on the expensive side. And I asked the guy why, and he said, well, there's not a big demand for them. I'm not surprised. But it was the cool tech kind of thing. Very fun. Very fun. I thought it would be kind of fun for you and I to... Not so much talk about this Macworld Expo, but maybe kind of look back over the years. Do you remember, Owen, your very first Macworld Expo? I know, see, now we didn't plan this, so Owen didn't know that I was going to be asking these questions, but your first Macworld, maybe not the first one you went to, but the first one that you really recall. Anything like that? Not, not at all, actually, because I feel, I mean, because I'm local, I think I go to all of them. So I'm trying to remember the very first one. I might have even gone to the very first one as an Apple employee. Yeah. Uh, but I, so I, if I think about it, I actually remember Apple Fest. So wasn't that what became Macworld? Yeah. So, I mean, I still have a black T-shirt at home, long sleeve shirt that says Apple Fest down the side of it. I was, I was an Apple II employee at Apple at the time. I was working on, the, on the, the 2GS, and I went to the first one, I think, in Boston. Actually, my first one wasn't in San Francisco. It was actually on the, in Boston. And that's the first one I remember going to. 
my first expo that I uh, that I attended, which it was five years after I started MyMax, you would think I'd have been to them, but just never really presented itself. It just wasn't affordable for me. Was the 2000 Expo, and the 2000 Expo was really significant because it was where Apple changed. It's the first time that we saw Mac OS X. Um, that was the same year that they released the demo. Um, that's really when when the, the iMac really started taking off. Uh, Steve Jobs was back. He was still the iCEO, but everyone knew he was going to drop that title and he was just going to be the CEO. Um, but iCEO. Remember? Do you remember the iCEO? Is that is that where he got iMac, iPod? I, yeah, no, I do remember when he's in the room. I, I figured you had been going long before that. Most people assume that, but no, it, because I never went to the, the to the New York ones, and San Francisco was just too expensive for me to go to. So, 2000 was the first MacWorld Expo I went to, and personally, it's still the the funnest that I've ever had at a MacWorld Expo. It was the most significant because. Uh, 1985. So, 2000 was, but beyond just the Apple announcement for me, there was a core group of Mac writers at the time. There was Roger Bourne, he was at MyMac, and Beth Locke at MyMac. John Farr was at Apple Inks. John Martellaro, Ronnie O'Lane. He had to be named John. Kind of, it seemed like he had to be named John. And we had, we, we all got together, even though we were at competing websites, and... Even though, you know, I know there's some, it sounds like a motorcycle or a lawnmower outside. <laughs> a lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the hell that is. Um, and now it stops. Uh, we all got together and we had this party. It was called the Mac Writers Party. Okay. And it was, I, I believe John Martellaro set up Code Weavers as our sponsor. And Sean King was our MC, and we had Robert X. Kringley. Wow come in and talk to us for like an hour and a half, telling stories from really early days, Microsoft and Apple. Um, and while that, all that was great, it was the camaraderie that we all was, Del Miller was there. I mean, just some really great people, Wait, really names good. I names, I heard, no, names I haven't heard in a long time. Wow. And these guys were really great writers. They, they, they never, maybe John Marlaro kind of went on to bigger and better, but for the most part, it was a three-year period where the writing was just so good, and then it just gone. It was it was just done. So I think one of the reasons I don't they all kind of merged to me, and I think I missed a lot of the early ones because they used the to be. Back. Well, they used to, the lawnmowers back. Yeah, I mean, I think it's connected to that car the other night yes. with yeah. Okay, um, I, I was going to CES covering CES at the same, and MacWorld kept doing their stuff at the same time, yeah. exactly at the same time. Which I always like, why didn't they just? Be at CES. So I had to cover CES for other publications, and there goes Tim's iPod <laughs> or iPhone on the floor. Wow. So I, I, but, so I think the first Apple conference I remember was an Apple Fest, and, and i tell you why I remember it. So um, Apple always went like they used to do all the way up through Macworld until they stopped here. They were always dressed in jeans and some kind of long white or black T-shirt that was always kind of their – the 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 – what did I say? Uniform. Right. Okay. For three years running, IBM was right across the hall right. from us. And they were always there in suits and ties and, and you know, coats. So we decided one year, we all said, okay, we're going we're gonna to get IBM and get them to laugh. We got everybody who was working the booth on the first day to agree to come in a suit and tie. So we all, we all bring suits and ties and we dress up in suits and ties. This is an Apple, on the Apple floor. Right. And when we get there... 
We see IBM, who had decided that they were going to join Apple, and all those guys were in khakis and white polo shirts. So here's, I, here's Apple the first day, all in suits and ties, and IBM across the hall in polo shirts and khaki pants, you know, going, What's, what are you guys doing? You know, and they thought we had planned it that way. We had no idea they were going to show up that way. So I remember this look on these guys like, oh, great. Thanks very much for that. It's like, yeah, look at IBM. Well, they gotten really casual over there, you know. <laughs> that, that's really funny. Oh man, that was in Boston. That was in Boston? Yeah. I don't know. The, after a while, most of the Mac worlds start blending together for me. So somebody will ask, "Oh, do you remember when you did this and this?" And I go, "Yeah, that was uh, maybe oh eight, oh oh six, or oh so, I don't know. It was a while ago." And uh, the reason Guy isn't with us right now is he went to a party. We didn't the Circus de Mac party, in which I was going to go, um, but I. We still have to get the the MyMac podcast finished and edited and posted and record a tech fan and get this finished and edited and posted. And I actually have to get on a cab and a BART and drive the tra- take the train home. Yeah. I'm an and hour from home. And what time is it now? I don't even know. Uh, and Owen's leaning. 9.35. 9.35 p.m. At night. Oh, there goes his phone. And uh, is it still recording? That's the question. Well, if, 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 if the counter's still running, we're good. Now, we're recording this on my iPhone. And I think later in a, not this episode, but we're going to go into how we're recording it. Yeah, it, it will actually do video too, but we exactly. won't post the video. Come on. It's actually doing video right now. Wait, here, let's see if I can point this back at me. And maybe Tim will actually post a little piece of this video. Here. You can do that. Here. So now, so it. hi, I'm Owen Rubin from MyMac, and you can see I got my little MyMac flag here. It's very official. So Tim is going to explain to you why he's recording video when we're doing a podcast, you know, radio, so you guys can all see it. Well, we're not going to do video. We're going to set the iPhone down, and it's basically video top, videotaping the top of our uh, the, the mattress on my bed here, uh, the comforter. Um, the reason is I was using some audio apps that actually would allow me to record this XLR mic going into my iPhone. The problem was I couldn't get the sound off of it, no matter what I did, because of the network congestion, blah, 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 blah. If I record this in video and plug my iPhone directly into my Mac, it will import via iPhoto. So it's a whole lot faster. But it's a video file, and we're doing audio. So what do I do? I, oh, I take that video file, drop it into GarageBand, delete the actual video portion of it, leaving just the audio, then export that out as an AIF file, which I then import again into another GarageBand file when I'm building the actual podcast. So I know it sounds a little confusing, but it, it literally takes five minutes. I'm just checking my calendar here to see what year this is. I mean, come on. The thing records video and audio. You would think this, the Mac is all about audio and video. You would think this would just work. It's really kind of amazing that there are still these, I mean, those kind of hoops you have to jump through. You know, a good thing you're a tech fan. (laughs) Technology at its best. Yeah, and really the problem is um, of Apple's making because they have the voice memo app. But it will not record audio this way. It will only record audio through the built-in microphone in the iPhone, which is Owen's hitting his head like, duh. And absolutely. Now, there are other apps for audio that I can use to record. But the problem is they won't, when I sync it to my Mac, they won't sync it back to iTunes. Yeah, right, that app. It will not record with this plug. So, um, Yeah, so I could use other audio recording software, which I did yesterday. But the problem was... 
Yeah, and it will probably work it, but how do you get the audio from that back onto your computer? I have no idea. Right. Well, you either have to email it to yourself. Maybe, Here, maybe, here's the maybe, other issue. Maybe, maybe you can use, um, now I'm going to forget the name. Now that you put the mic in my face, it's like I just went completely blank on the piece of software, um, and I'm, now I'm going to have to go look, so talk for a second. Here's the problem that I had yesterday. The shows that were recorded were 60, 70 megabytes, which is nothing, but when you have to email that to yourself, it's huge. So I couldn't do it. Okay, so the, so the application, I'm wondering if it would work. So we're going to try it here when we're all done. It's called PhoneView. I don't know if you're familiar with PhoneView. So it's a small app on the Mac that when, and there's actually two apps I'm going to try. And the other one is called, I think, Phone Disk, and I've got them both. Phone Disk, when you plug your iPhone in, it, a disk icon shows up on the desktop, and you can get at the folders and files that are sort of available on the, on the machine that aren't protected by Apple. And Phone View, when you plug your phone in, opens a window and shows the folders inside the, Mac, I mean, inside the iPhone as well. So maybe we're going to experiment with that. That might work. Because then you can just drag the file out. But then who knows what format they're in. Wave. It records in Wave. It records in Wave. Yeah. So, yeah, that'd definitely be worth checking out if uh, it would allow me to record my audio in an audio editing app. I don't want to turn this into inside baseball, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. So how many people listening are going, I don't care how you're recording the podcast, Tim, get on with it. Get on, so get on. getting back to Macworld, obviously, so 2000 was personally one of my favorites. Okay. I think probably the most significant Macworld. Um, okay. No. It was, I think you came into... 84, uh, 2003, 4, somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's 2011 now, I think. Um, I think the most significant Macworld in recent memory, though, would have to be 2007 when they introduced the iPhone. I think that was the most. Now, were you actually in the keynote for 07 when they introduced the iPhone? I have never gone to a keynote. I've watched them all on video because, because it's always been a zoo to get in. And for a while, only certain media badges would get in. So if you would get one, no one else from your publication could get one. So you'd have to stand in line. And I just decided it was easier to go up to the Apple store where they were broadcasting it on video screens and on the, in their little, in their little uh, in the, you know, the theater they've got in the Apple store here in San Francisco, and we'd watch it there. So instead of going there, and there was, and there was actually a lot more excitement, it seemed like, in there because people could scream and yell. Trust me, they scream and yell in the keynote, too. But, and it's kind of unfortunate because we're not ever going to get that again. Now, and I'm not talking about because yeah. Steve Jobs isn't healthy right because now. It was, because it was so... I mean, I remember that one because I remember they had the phone suspended right. in, a black, in a crystal cube spinning. I remember you taking pictures of that, yeah. yeah. When I say it's never going to be like that again, I mean a Steve Jobs keynote. We're never going to see that. They'll have these Apple events where they introduce new products, but it's for, you know, maybe a couple hundred press members, maybe streaming live via QuickTime over the Internet. But that's a far cry from 5,000 people sitting in an auditorium when Steve Jobs walks out. There's an electric in the room when, when you see a Steve Jobs keynote. And I'm glad to say that I've actually been to quite a few. Personally, I, th- I think I went to the two best when he first introduced Mac OS X, and then when he introduced, yeah, you were at that one, and then when he introduced the iPhone, and I think those were the, probably the the two biggest ones. Now, I know a lot of people say the one, I think it was in Boston, but it might have been San Francisco, when he had Bill Gates come on 
the big screen, talking about the $150 million investment Microsoft was going to make in Apple. When you look back at that now, here, this is how much $150 million would be for Apple right now. From now till now, now yeah. <laughs> in iPod Nano sales. Now to now, 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 now. But let's remember, so it, they said Apple has been one of the biggest turnarounds in companies for that. So you remember in that day, Apple was about ready to fail. They needed a cash infusion, and that was a lot of money for them. And Microsoft needed to make sure they stuck around. Otherwise, Microsoft became this huge, big monopoly, even bigger than they would be. And, and so it was to, my, to Microsoft's benefit to keep Apple. Now, Microsoft didn't care about that money because it turns out that the Mac business unit of Microsoft made a ton of money on office sales and they would easily recoup that money in one year. So, it, you know, so it gave Apple a kickstart, you know. I, that's why I look at that. And they just didn't give them the money. They got Apple stock in yeah, return. It was a loan. I, and yes, basically. Uh, you think that maybe Apple or Microsoft would be happy if they would have kept that stock at this 100 could you imagine 1997 1998 i think it was 150 million dollars worth of apple stock what that would be worth right now at 300 dollars a share oh my god you know how much what money mike it, it was it was less than 20 bucks a share I, I was I was looking through my E-Trade account the other day, and I found that I thought I'd sold all my Apple shares, and I'd found shares I hadn't sold twenty of them, and they were they had a purchase price of eight dollars, and it was around that same time. So when that that time Apple stock was really low, so eight to three hundred times one hundred fifty million. Do the math. Yeah, my head hurts trying to think of how much Should that. I do no, don't. It'll just make me depressed. Microsoft has enough money. They. I still had all my shares from yes. that time. Oh, who, yeah, who doesn't? So, I, personally, I think those are probably the two most significant Mac worlds. Now, moving into modern times, as far as Apple not being involved in the Mac World Expo, um, this is the second consecutive expo that's happened in San Francisco that Apple has absolutely nothing to do with. <sighs> Last year, personally, I think the expo is all about, yeah, Apple's not going to be here, and we don't need them, and we're going to do it on our own, and rah, 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 and everybody kind of rallied around the whole concept of we're still going to have an expo. We don't, Apple be damned, right? But in our hearts, we were like, eh, it sucks that Apple's not going to be there. Right. This, to me, was the year that we find out, is there any life in this expo with Apple not being involved? Because last year was all about we're going to rally the troops and, and do it anyways, there was no rallying the troops attitude this year. It's just, oh, it's this Macworld Expo again. Yeah. And I have to be honest, I was very encouraged by the turnout that I saw today. Whether that carries over to tomorrow and Saturday, I don't know. I hope it does because I go on the main stage on Saturday at noon. So I, I hope somebody is there. But You're going to have to tell me because I'm Miss Saturday, unfortunately. I thought it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this year, not Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I think the Expo... I mean, the conference started on Wednesday, but the expo didn't start till Thursday. So I'm going to miss Saturday. But I expect Saturday, given how crowded it was today, I expect Saturday to be mobbed. Because now Saturday, those people who are working that couldn't get off to go there will come. And all the kids, you know, teenagers and young kids and guys who really love Apple products are going to be there. I think it's going to be impossible to walk the floor on Saturday. So uh, you might have a big crowd. So I'm just glad I'm not going on last uh, we were talking about this earlier when we were walking to the store here, that last year I was doing OWC Radio during the Macworld Expo, and I was on the main stage, 
And I was the last person on the main stage last year on the last day. So basically, I closed the show. And my fear, really, it was it was my fear that if last year was going to be the last Macworld Expo, I didn't want to be a footnote in Macworld history that I knew the last thing that was this retard named Tim Robertson that that would that yeah, and I closed the show. Gee, thanks. We don't want to invite him to our next party. That was my fear, but. So this time it's Saturday at noon. I'm not the last thing. That's okay. If it closes now, that's fine. I didn't close it. It's not my fault. Don't blame me. Um, unless everybody. Yeah. Unless right. One of the things I'm going to talk about, I think this would be fun for you and I, because you're old school like I am. You're even older school than I am when it comes to the Mac. Well, you were in a, long before I was. Um, how many people is what I'm going to ask when I'm up there? And by the way, you guys, if you want to watch this live, you can watch it at uh, Macworld live it's, if you go to Macworld site they have a link to it um noon pacific time on saturday you can actually watch it live on your computer guy searle and i will be doing the podcast um so it's a combination of mymac.com podcast slash tech fan the mymac.com tech fan podcast i guess um i own them all so i don't care we call it juju bob i don't care juju bob no that's not it. i was thinking of the candy juju juju b B Bob, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, the vessel with the pestle. Um, can you believe we're already twenty minutes into the show here? Um, I, I'm going to ask the old time Mac users to raise their hands, basically, if we get any. That's actually if we even have a crowd. But I'm going to ask, how much software do you still have for Mac OS eight and OS nine? Do you still personally own that's still shrink wrapped and never opened, Owen? Oh, what a great question. I have a box of Apple System 7. Really? The, orig- the box System 7 still in the shrink wrap. Wow. Okay? I have, um, I th- although I think I just gave this to someone, I, I have a box of Adobe, not Adobe, who did Full Write Professional. That's still in the shrink wrap. This is scary because I'm trying to think. Um, I have about 18 games that I haven't used uh, never unshrink wrap. And the reason I didn't unshrink wrap them, Tim, is so you have to understand this. A lot of times I would be given the box after I was given the software to download onto my computer. So I would download it and have it on my computer from the distributors or from the shows or from wherever we get it. And then I would get the box. So if you were to look into my office, and maybe one of these days I will take a picture of it. I have a w- bookshelves on one side of my office, and they are wall-to-wall boxes of software and I was cleaning up my office the other day and looking up at that shelf saying maybe I should do something about it and I would say 90% of those boxes are OS 9 and OS 8 so there is a lot of software up on there much of it still shrink wrapped it's actually kind of scary now that you've asked that question I'm going to guess at least 25 boxes of it what do you think the retail value not now because they're practically worthless now at the time, what do you think the retail value of that software would have been worth? Sorry. So what's it worth? So the so let's start with System Seven. What did System Seven sell for at this time? One hundred and twenty nine, one hundred and forty nine, something like that. I think Fullwrite Professional was selling for one hundred and thirty five dollars. Uh, I have an unopened copy of Microsoft Office, uh, the one before Office X. So I don't remember what that was. Uh, yeah, what was that? That was. So it was the it was the last Office for. Uh, Power PC, so it might be Office 97. That is still shrink wrapped, and that was three some hundred and something. I have a bunch of games all sold in the forty-nine to sixty-nine dollar range. So I'm gonna. 
If I count all the boxes up on that shelf, there's probably several thousand dollars worth of software. If I count the ones that are unopened, there's probably still five to six hundred dollars worth of software up there. And as I was saying, I have them on my computer. I got them usually from the distributors or stuff when I was at Apple, and then I would get the box so I'd have the retail version of it. Why, why do you hold on to the sold software? Well, that was what I was asking myself the other day. Um, I don't know. And one of my favorite collections is every one of the Berkeley Systems screensavers. Oh, yeah, the, flying the flying toasters, but I have the Simpsons and the, the, the sick, the, there's one sick and twisted. Yeah. And I mean, they're all sitting in boxes up on the shelf. And as, like I said earlier, I was cleaning my office and those are going to go. So the question is, do I make copies of the floppies before I get rid of them, just in case I ever want to run an old Mac? I'd probably say no. I'd probably say... I, I, do you remember the Performas? Instead of giving you shrink... Do you, you remember you had those uh, plastic binders, and it would have... I have three of them. <laughs> I've got two. <laughs> and one of them... And I've got, and I'll say three if you count the one that came with my first-generation iMac, which was the 266 megahertz version. I didn't have the 233. Right, yes. And no, and there were system disks in there too. Right. Okay. And um, I was looking through something, and I came across those. And I don't know why I still have disks for almost every version of the Mac OS. And I, of course, I have Macs that will run most of that still, which I need to. As do I. <laughs> I need to change that really. As the CEO of Mac Specialist, I thought, <coughs> let's embrace the history of the Macintosh, which we all love. Everyone loves talking about the old Macs and stuff which they were crappy even then. They're even worse now. The machines we have right now are so far superior. But we try to remember the past with rose-colored glasses, as we're wont to do. Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to argue with you that some of those machines, were, for their, at their time, were awesome. In fact, um, Tim will remember I sent an uh, email to, as I said, cleaning out my office, I sent the email to the my Mac list saying, I have a beige G3 tower. Does anybody want it? And it started this huge stream of people going, oh, my God, that was like the best G3 Mac ever. And, was, so I, and I booted it up before I, you know, I cleaned it up and I actually gave it to a church. Uh, and I put a bunch of software on it so it would actually surf the web and stuff. I was amazed at how well it actually still worked. I, yes, when they were new, they were great. But I, but I mean now, they're, they're crap. I, I have so much more power in that laptop sitting there in the iPhone. Than, than the iPhone. <laughs> but in, in that laptop, if I took all the other computers I own, not including the brand new 27-inch i7 iMac, obviously, um, all my other machines that I've got sitting at my house, and you combine all the horsepower they all have and all the storage, and I've still got more here. Yeah. So the best Mac is the newest one that's out there right now. But that's true for probably televisions and PCs. and Yeah, yeah, and so... So this is something that drives me crazy. So we have these, these MacBooks and MacBook Pros. They have incredibly fast processors in the gigahertz. I think when I did the Mac LC at Apple, it was 16 megahertz. Okay? It was a 16 megahertz, 16 megahertz, M with an M. We're talking about an order of magnitude slower. Okay? Um, and so the other day, I turned on my 512K Mac just to see if it would still boot. And it really amazed me how fast it booted and started. Now, as Guy told me when I told him that, he goes, well, they do a lot, much, much less. At those days, I didn't care. They did exactly what I wanted them to do then. So with all this horsepower, why does it take my Mac so long to start? 
because the operating system is much more powerful. Um, going back to what I was saying as the COO of Mac Specialist, I wanted to embrace our history and stuff. As such, I brought in three classic Macs to put on display in the Chicago store. So if you're in Chicago area, go to Mac Specialist at 500 North Wells. You will see my personal computers. There's three of them, and they're kind of forming a little period pyramid. And I can actually show you one later. Um, Mac Plus, Mac Classic, and the Macintosh sitting on top. And when I say the Macintosh, I mean the original 128K. Here's the thing. They all boot up. Every one of them still works. So you're going to have to do something for me. Here's, here's the, the, I know we're not doing the geekiest thing, but here's a geek thing for you. If you have a Mac Classic, and for those who don't know, the Mac Classic was uh, Apple went back and made one in the sort of original form factor with a much nicer monitor and stuff. Um, internally, that was called the XO. I don't know why it was called the XO. Um, there was a little hack we did. I was working on at the time at Apple was to create a system disk that could that could boot and still be locked. Now, for what I don't want to get too techy on here, but you need a hard drive. Yeah, it's called So when you boot a Mac, it reads and writes to the hard drive as it boots up. It saves information back as it's booting. But we wanted, I was creating bootable CD at the time, and I had to create a system that could boot that it could not write back to. So we were working on that. The guy, I'm not going to mention his name. I shouldn't mention names. The guy who was working on the XO, who owned the XO project, thought this was a very cool idea. He had room left in his ROM on the Mac XO, the, the, the classic, the new classic. So if you hold down, I believe it's Command-Shift-X-O and power on the unit, it will go bing and boot a system in the ROM. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And it comes up in about, in about 20 seconds. Yeah. That's going to be pretty quick, too. So, so we've got that on display. Um, but, you know, one of the other things I'm going to talk about on the main stage, I'm ruining for anybody that potentially wants to see it, but it'll be different. Because um, I can get to the point here on the podcast. Sometimes. Uh, depends. Um, depends on my mood, damn it. Now we're going to slow it down, Owen. Thought you were getting out of here early, didn't you? You're going to have to ride home with the hobos at this point on the BART. Um, yeah. Um, how many people that are out there that have, you know, just a collection of old Macs and stuff can't seem to get rid of them? That they have these old machines... And they, yeah, Owen's raising his hand, and I am too. But I will say this, though. I took, you know, three of those machines, including the original 128K, and they're in the store now. Somebody could actually steal my machines where, I don't know why they, the retail value is $3. But um, why do we keep these old We're never, ever going to do anything with them. I, and when I say that, not just the computers, I've got stuff like an external CD-ROM. I've got uh, a battery... Uh, power supply, I'm sorry, for the Blackbird power book. You know, uh, why do we keep these old things? There's no value there. There is no value. And I, my wife kids me that it's my portfolio because I guess I worked on a lot of these yeah. at Apple. So I, th- I was trying to think what I have on there. I have, I have a Mac Plus. I had a 128, but I gave it to someone who really wanted it. So I got rid of Mac. So I'm trying to think what I have at home. I'm, and I'm going to do this off the top of my head. And I'm going to miss some. So I have a Mac Plus. I have a 512E. Those are sitting side by side. On top of those is sitting the original Mac luggable, the portable, in a clear case. Those of us who worked on them got them in a clear plastic case. It's actually kind of interesting. Uh, on top of that is the Pismo, so the, the black 
G the the Tim says he's got a Lombard. The black G three Pismo. Okay. The Lombard had the the gold clearish looking keys, where the Pismo had the black keys. Oh, then maybe I, what was the last one? The last one was the Pismo. Okay, so I have the. Wall Street. Wall Street. No, I don't, well, whatever it was, I have the last G3 clamshell, right. Right, and which I really liked. Then I have a 520C, Pismo, okay. I have a 520C, a 540C, a 180C, a 100. So I have one of the original. You have the 182, I, you said? I have a 180. I have a 180. No, no, the 180 was the old original. So let's go back to the first small portable was the 100, the PowerBook 100. That was the original one right. that was built in, actually built by Sony. And, which one was the Blackboard? So the the Blackbird was the first clamshell, I think, bigger one, G three, I believe the Blackbird no, had. No, no, no. It, it was. Uh, Maybe I'm I think it was an O three O chip. Might have been O three. Okay, so so th- then I have a PowerBook twelve, twelve inch PowerBook that's actually running my home automation. Um, I just gave away the G the G three beige tower. Tim Tim is I, I'm watching his phone. Tim is typing frantically on his computer on the lousy Wi-Fi here in the hotel to see if you can look it up. It's actually pretty fast. Um, I'm going to finish this. So let's see. Then I have the, uh, a G4. It's the 500 series. Oh, it's the 500 series. Okay, Blackbird's 500. I have a pair of those, a 520C and a 540C. And if people remember, they, oh. took, they took two batteries, one on each side. Yeah, they, um, it was an 040. It was an 040. Okay, that's right. It was the first 68040 uh, PowerBook. And it was matrix color, so... Uh, the 520, I think, was not, and the 540 the was. Yeah, I had, and the 540, I could actually boot it if I plug it in, but the battery's been long since dead. So I, I have, well, so to finish that line, route, <clears throat> a G4 tower, not the bright green one, but the one that went back to the grayish, yeah. I can't remember which one that was, Sawtooth, okay, he, remember, he remembers that. Then, uh, <laughs> then one of my favorite ones that I still actually run, I have a Mac 2FX, that is designed to run AUX, the original, the original Unix, the IBM Unix. And they're all over my house. They're, they're just there. <clears throat> and I don't know why I can't just get rid of them. I want to just throw them away. And something stops me because I guess I was there at Apple when they were being built. And I worked on pro- parts of the projects that went into them. I, 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 they're sort of a weird, I don't want to let go of them. Right. And I was like that with a lot of my machines. But now that I'm doing the Mac Specialist thing... It's not that I could just get rid of them now. It's that I could actually display them somewhere where when people come in, well, they'll go, oh, my God, that's the original Macintosh. And I go, yes, it is. And it actually will boot if I plug can it I in. send them all to you? You can send them all to me, and I'll put them in the back room at Mac Specialist. Uh, we don't have that much room. It, it is Chicago. It's more of a kiosk store. This is kind of funny. I, I can't just throw them away. But if somebody really wants one, I'm happy to if they pay postage to like probably give them away. Yeah. I, you know what that is? I think it's, you appreciate them and you don't want to just get them, give them away because you know, there's an inherent value in it. And so when someone else shows an interest, i.e. there's an inherent value to them, you're willing to go. There's someone that would appreciate it the way I used to, or I still do, but I'm willing to part with it. The, the machine I'm missing is the titanium. Uh, do you have a titanium, Tim? He's shaking his head. The, the ti- yeah, so before the all-aluminum, they did the one they called the titanium. I, so the ti- my boss at the company I worked at the time when that came out had a titanium, and he was going through the, the airport security, and the guy, he made him hand him the computer to the security guy, and the guy went to hand it back to him and dropped it. And it dented, 
and smashed the case. So he brought it to me and said, can you get the date off? So we took the date off and then we closed the top and the thing literally caught fire. <laughs> it went up in smoke. So the battery, we think the battery shorted out, but we got his date off. That was the one machine I never had an inkling to buy. I, I had a 15 inch and I bought it right before the aluminums came out. And I was like, oh, come on, really? Um, and it wasn't, ti- it wasn't titanium. It was plastic with metal over the top yeah. that wore off when, when you, when you yeah, used it. Because over. it would start turning that yellowish color. And Black. you're like, this ain't Black. titanium. <sighs> Do you think it's time that Apple refreshes the physical look? Because if you, could buy, if you look at the, this, um, this machine right here, you know, I, we'll come back to that another time. I just remember what another topic was. Okay. How long ago, or better yet, how do I put this? Sorry. When did we stop saying what computer we have by giving the specs? We don't care about specs anymore. At least Mac use. We don't say, oh, I've got the 1.7 and with the processor upgrade. It's gone. We just say, oh, I've got an 07 MacBook or uh, an, I've got the new generation MacBook or... I would say mostly. So, like, they still use the specs to a small degree. So, you, like, you buy the new MacBook Air, you can get the 1.6 gigahertz or the 1.8 gigahertz. So you get, but that, but you're right. What they'll look for in the MacBook Air, they'll ask, "Do you get the 10 inch, or the 11 inch, or the 13 inch?" Right. But the 11 inch comes in three speed, two or three you speeds. That, Most people doesn't. But I think you're right. Like, I, I was just asking someone today. I used to pride myself on used to knowing what all the processors were. I don't know the difference between a quad-core, an i5, and an i7. I, I don't care to know anymore. I used to know all those things. Someone says, oh, it's got an i7. I go, okay, it's the latest processor. Great, cool. It must be the new one. But I don't even know what speed they run at. or And I don't even ask about how much memory it has anymore because when I order a computer, I said, just fill it up. Right. And that's kind of my point. It, the horse race race, if you will, I think is over. For the, for, it's all Intel. But going beyond that, what are people doing with their computers now that even, quite honestly, the, the base Mac Mini couldn't do? Well, you couldn't run such and such and such and such. Really, we were running that program three years ago, and the Mac Mini is more powerful than any computer three years ago. So it's not about the specs anymore. I mean, that's what the computer industry was a long time. And I think what's happened is... And I think it kind of happened when Apple took out the word computer out of their name. They went from Apple Computer Incorporated to just Apple Inc. They stopped making computers for geeks like us. They stopped, they stopped pushing the specs, and they just started pushing the commodity aspect of the computer. This is, it's about the design and ease of use and, and the screen and right. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Uh, I, I don't think about, is my MacBook Pro faster than a Dell something or other? Uh, I, I just don't even worry about that. In fact, I, when I, I, I also use, I'm the, I'm the weird one at, at my Mac that also uses a PC in my work. And it's the same on the PC side. I walked into Fry's and I said, ah, I need a good desktop machine. And he goes, there's one. I didn't even ask him what processor was in. I played with for what it was fast enough. It doesn't, I'm happy with it. I sort of stopped looking and I think people in general are not, there's no more arms race of processors and that stuff. I think it has gone away. And I think that the iPhone and the iPad is contributing to it going away. What's this, what's this, what's, you don't care how much RAM is in your iPhone because every application is written for your iPhone will work on your iPhone. You do. Oh, I got to increase memory because I can't. No, yes, you can. You can do it. 
the iPad, same thing. You don't care how much RAM is in there. By the way, it's 512. Um, is that what it is? I think it's 512. I, I, I know. I know the iPhone 4 has 512, but that's because I read it somewhere. But I didn't actively go hunting because, quite frankly, who cares nowadays? Nobody cares. So yeah, he's got this. What is that? It's, it's called, a. It's called free. This is an application um, f- for the iPhone called Free Memory, and it, right now it basically just shows a display of how much memory is not being used and. I, I haven't run it in a long time, and it says 141.38 megabytes. And I'm looking at how many apps I've got running at the bottom at the same time, and there's a ton of them. So I'm going to go back to free memory, and I'm going to start killing these apps and seeing. And you watch the memory go up. We'll see what the maximum number is it can be. With every app I kill, the number the number is jumping. It's jumping to 216, 224. I kill messaging 232. Kill the iPhone. I get 238. Kill Orb Live. I go 236. So with now, only that one application running, you got. It says 236, and underneath it lists all the all the things that are running. I, it was a geek kind of thing when it first came out. I don't think I've run it in a long time. And it's going up slowly as we're sitting here. I suspect it's recovering memory, but it's kind of. I, I had no idea how much memory it had. Yeah, so that tells me that it's got probably what 256 megabytes in it. I thought it was more than that. But this is I thought it had 512. So it's probably 512. 512. Yeah, but. I, I, the broader point is, as Mac users, not everybody, and there's still some that's you know the very much the spec guys. It's not the hot rod thing anymore. We used to say, "Oh, we're comu-. you know you remember how you used to like cars and you always want to put the fastest engine." And well, now we're computer users, and that's what we do with our computers. We don't do that with our computers. When's the last time you heard anybody say, "Well, I bought a new iMac and I'm going to upgrade this, this, and this," other than RAM and maybe hard drive? And even those, you don't really do that so much anymore. You buy them the way you want them. Missing from the show floor for maybe the last four years are the companies uh, like Newer Tech and these. And I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that used to sell boards, processor, processor upgrades. upgrades, and memory upgrades, and then all these attachments. And the PC side was even worse. You used to go into Fry's, you could buy light bars and gauges and all this. I don't see it. It was like the hot rod. I agree. I used to say that. Yeah. To me, hot, the new hot rod was computers. That's gone too. I agree with you. you just, they're commodities now. I think computers have become something you buy. You pick the one you like the look of that runs the programs you want to run or that you can afford, and you, and you use it. I just don't know when it changed. I just know that it did change, and it, and it did it when I wasn't paying attention. Because I was such a specs guy, on I was always, oh, you know, that machine over there? Yeah, I've actually got, you know, 300 megabytes of hard drive space in it. And, you know, I've got, I remember my first Mac. I don't know if it was my first one, but the first one that I actually bought more memory for, I went up to two megabytes. Yeah. And it cost me $700 for two megabytes. Now, here's the funny thing. I've got this little keepsake box that I made in Elementary Earth junior high school two megabytes, two megabytes for $700 so, two megabytes so my first computer was an MSI okay is that is that a war games geeky thing you know the one where you had to toggle the switches right. and and i think that had 16k yeah. k not meg k and then i got my first quote real computer one that connected to a screen and had a keyboard and everything was an atari 800 and that had Three 16K cartridges you could plug in. So I think you had 48K of RAM. And I think those cartridges were 125 bucks each for 16K of memory. And then the last, because that was a 6502, it had a, it had a 65K 
limit, 64K limit, the last 16K, I believe, was for the ROM cartridge for the operating system. The reason I, the reason I bring this $700 and the reason I remember how much it was, because, and, and this is the part that killed me, it was the wrong RAM. I ordered the wrong RAM, and they wouldn't let me return it. So I had $700 worth of RAM that I could not use. There was no eBay. There, I, I would have gone out and buy the computer for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I still have that RAM, and it's in this little keepsake box that most of that is like sports memorabilia, pieces of jersey that I would, little dims. And what, what's the value of those right now? A nickel, if that? If that. Yeah. Um, although, although there's a weird market for people who have these old computers like you and I do that want more memory, right. so they'll actually get it's hard to find now. So uh, I think the first upgrade I remember doing was it called the Thunder Drive. Oh God, yeah. So if for those of you who, who aren't as old as I am, the original Macs didn't have hard drives in them. They had one or two floppies you could buy, and you were swapping drives. And this company called I think it was Thunder. Thunder Drive came out with a you could you had to crack open your 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 Mac SE or your Mac Plus with a special tool you could buy. Apple didn't want anybody to have. It was a very long Torx wrench that would fit in these long deep holes. And then you had to carefully install this thing inside your computer and it put a hard drive in a 20 megabyte, I think it was. Maybe the first one was 10. It put it put a 10 megabyte hard drive into your Mac SE or your Mac plus to give you a hard drive which i remember that was like the coolest thing in the world we're going to take a real quick break before we wrap up the show so uh as guy would say on the mymac stand by to stand by greetings it's guy and gaz the g-men from the mymac.com podcast our podcast has been going strong since 2004 talking about all things mac and apple with great guests and listener invites so there's never a dull moment the MyMac.com podcast, irrelevantly relevant. Find us on iTunes. Just do a search in the podcast section with MyMac. Subscribe and prepare to be entertained. And we're back. And by the way, Orn just, no, he, he, he rebooted his iPhone and he's got that free memory app running and he's up to 324 free megabytes of RAM. And it's kind of going up too. Uh, we're at 325.54 and 6.6. It's going up. So the last thing I was going to say at, at the expo was um, on the maybe, and this is the part I don't know about. It depends on the crowd. I was going to throw out some company names and see if you could remember what they were, what, what the product was. Or if I give you the name, what the actual product was. Did like if I said Claire's Works, well, you know what Claire's Works was. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, the pivot. I don't know. You, it, uh, um, Super. Super no. um, Who did the pivot display? Right. right. Uh, oh no, I know who it was. It was. Um, oh, the pivot display that you could rotate it into landscape mode and back. Um, Daystar. No, it wasn't Daystar. I don't know who did it. He's he's doing a frantic search on my MacBook to see who did that. There's people listening to the show screaming the answer at their... I'm sure they're screaming. Yeah, the, because they know who it is. I'll have to go look for it. Uh, I think it was Radius, wasn't Radius. it? Radius. Yes. Well, some way we know. Andrew yeah. Singer is the Global Village. Uh, uh, modems for computers. 
That was the I, I still have a Global Village modem. I found it in the box. It wasn't shrink wrapped, but it was the it was the um, the small uh, what do they call them PCMCIA card that went into the G3 PowerBook. I have I, I found one in my basement too, and it's a twenty eight eight where the speaker is actually kind of raised That's on right. it, I and I don't know why they did that. The, why the square box? It yeah, was a square was, box that plugged into the serial port. But the where the speaker is, it's it's it raises like a small little dome, and Berkeley Systems. Yes. Yep. You're right. Berkeley Systems. Oh, screensavers. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of companies that were so important to us as tech guys and Mac users. And those companies <coughs> disappeared and we we didn't even notice. Supra. They just, Supra. Supra. Uh, super, was it Super Mac? Super, <coughs> Supermac? Yeah, something like that. But but there's there's a lot of companies that Owen that just disappeared, and nobody seemed to notice. And these were some of the the biggest, most popular companies at MacWorld Expo for years, years, years and years. Couldn't wait to go buy the Berkeley Systems, and and to see the the newest version of the flying toasters. And everybody would buy it. And, and then and they always had. They always had toys they threw into the audience because yeah. I worked for them for a short period of time, and and I and I got the pleasure of working one Apple Fest as a Berkeley Systems engineer, and that has got to be the most fun I've ever had working at Trade Show. And they're gone now. They're gone now. And you probably there's maybe a half dozen people in the world who could even tell you why they went away and what happened, and it, it's it's kind of. Yeah, was it Super Mac was displays? They were, they were Super Max. Supermax uh, Prison? Was that what it was? <laughs> Something like that? I'm trying to think so, of other company names. Let me think. I'm trying. So my mind is racing um, of all these products. So I, said, I mentioned Fullwrite earlier. To me, one of the best word processors ever written. There, it was the only true WYSIWYG. You know, Apple kept saying WYSIWYG, WYSIWYG. It wasn't. Nothing about Microsoft Office was ever WYSIWYG. Fullwrite Professional was this phenomenal Software. It tried to come back once again, and it just didn't. Couldn't. Couldn't make it in the market. Marinerite was good too. Marinerite was good, but this one was. It would do two-column printing. It would wrap around pictures correctly, and what you saw on the screen was what it printed. It was the best of all of them out there, in my opinion. You know what's funny is some of the companies that we think of as the most important in the Mac industry that are gone now. <laughs> they're not actually gone. On like Quark. Remember when Quark was? Quark they would have. The massive booth at Macworld. And if you were doing anything in that industry, Quark Express was what you used. Who uses Quark Express? When's the last time you saw Quark at a Macworld Expo? I, I couldn't even tell you. I can't remember. And the one that goes along with that was 4D. Oh, God. I didn't even. I said, there's another one. I just. Yeah, I think of Quark, I think of 4D writes. They were always next, next to each other on the floor. So the 4D was a big database. Uh, That's what our data manager, when I was at Seven Worldwide doing the Kellogg stuff, our whole system was running 4D. I became quite the expert in 4D. How about Foxtrot? Remember that? No. That was a database program on the PC side. And uh, Fo not Foxtrot. No, not Foxtrot. Fox Pro, thank you. I think with I think so. Fox Pro was the database I used at Apple to keep the database of all the resources for every machine. And scripts in Fox Pro actually generated a major portion of the installer scripts for System Six and System Seven. Go figure, right? 
We we should probably wrap up wrap up this podcast. You need to uh, catch a uh, well a cab and then a train, and then your car and then get home. Yeah. So. And we still have, an, you do anyways, a whole other day of Expo tomorrow. And uh, so tomorrow, absolutely, we're going to do another MyMac podcast. We're going to have a lot more content from the showroom floor. It was just crazy out there today. We really didn't have a chance to get to a lot of companies. Um, maybe some videos. I would like to do some videos. It just takes a lot more time and effort to do. And um, yeah, maybe. And we just need to produce a lot more content while we're here. You took some really great pictures. Um, the, the, so I tend to take pictures for me as notes. So when I want to remember a product, I take pictures of it. So, so Tim was kind enough to steal them off my camera and put them up on the, my Mac. Well, well, Mark Rudd took some too, and he's got like a seven thousand dollars worth of camera equipment. And I, we have literally like eight posters or eight pictures from him. You've got a fifty dollars digital camera, and we've got like thirty pictures from you up there. So. So normally I would use my iPhone for taking pictures. I, I mean, it's really funny. I was in Fry's. I have to say this. I was in Fry's the other day. For those who don't know, Fry's is an electronics store, super geek electronics store. It's like a supermarket with, for geeks, okay? Uh, they sell chips and dips and chips and dips. One side is computers and sockets, you know, chips and the sockets. The other side is potato chips and, in the same store. Fry's used to be a grocery chain out here, for those who don't know. Anyway, I was in Fry's, and, I'm, and so as you walk up to Fry's to check out, they have, you know, the candy and the M&Ms and the soda and all these, these, you know, cheap little things they want you to impulse buy. And I was blown away to see in those impulse buys the 69, $59, $69, $79 dollars Samsung pocket cameras, 14.2 megapixel, 7x optical zoom cameras, $89. And I think having phones and, I mean, cameras and, and phones has really ruined that market. But I the reason I don't is my, first of all, I have so many applications on my phone, it's getting full, so I can't take a lot of pictures, but this little pocket camera has a 10x optical zoom, okay? I've had it for a while, it's a Panasonic Lumix, which I really love, and it has a really good light sensitivity, so it does, and I can just take it out, turn it on, take a picture, it's a lot faster than setting up my iPhone to do it. Uh, On the other hand, you'll probably see some photos from my iPhone come up here as well, because it uses the HDR thing, you get really good light correction when you don't have time to fix your photos. So yeah, look for more photos. I, you know, the iPhone and, and smart cameras isn't just killing cameras. It's also killing the standalone GPS units. Oh, yeah. I'd hate to be a, a Garmin shareholder right now. I mean, they're starting to get into the software, too, but, you know, there's a lot of competition there. And how do you compete with free? Google's going to come out with free navigation software. So, oh, good. What a great lead-in. I am working on, and I'm hoping to get it up on my Mac soon, a head-to-head competition with a about eight or nine um, of the top navigators for the phone. And there is a way to compete with free. And what people understand is there are free ones. Uh, Waze is one of the ones that gives me the biggest smile. Waze is a social networking and free. Uh, and I think you said there was, um, who was showing me? There was another, oh, someone was showing me today. MapQuest has one now. Uh, but what I have discovered in my little preview is these guys, Magellan, okay, uh, TomTom, and Navigon, the three guys who are big in dash display units, their, their quality of routing shows in their software on the iPhone. I, every navigator will get you from point A to point B. These guys get you there the best. That's what I would tell you about them. So I've, I, you will see my write-up. Those three guys tie 
greatly for the top three notches of incredibly well done. Although today I was just given one that I didn't have before. So there's one more and I'm going to forget their name. I'm handing back to Tim why I remember the name. Navigation software. Ah! I, I use a couple different ones, but I've really settled on uh, Navigon. Co-pilot. And, oh, Copilot. I've got Copilot. I'm, I'm, and they're, they're offering like regional maps now as well, which... So Copilot also offers something that I didn't know when I went and talked to them today on the show floor. Copilot own, uh, offers a commercial software for truckers. So not only does it get you from A to B, but it has all the data on height restrictions and weight restrictions and chemical, what chemicals you can. So you can go into this software and say, I'm a trucker, my truck weighs this much, it's this high, I'm carrying this kind of load, and it will route you on roads that are legal for that to go, and le- roads that aren't legal. For example, where we live here, there's a tunnel that goes through on one freeway. Trucks are not allowed in it during the daytime. So this would know that and route you around it. So it's a much more expensive piece of software, but it's designed specifically for truckers and all the restrictions. Speaking of restrictions, we probably have to restrict our talking at this point yeah. and let you get out of here. So we're going to wrap up, which I hope you guys enjoyed. I know it was a little bit rambling, and we're kind of famous for that on Tech Fan sometime. Yeah, and we're tired. We've been up. I, here's the thing, Owen. I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning here, but it wasn't 4 o'clock in the morning to my body. It was 7 o'clock in the morning because I'm still on the East Coast time. So, not, you know, not getting a lot of sleep. In the, I, here, have you ever felt the iPhone get this warm? Yeah, my iPhone is literally very, very hot. And uh, that's what happens when you continuously record audio and video. Yeah, I think so. The iPhone's saying, no mas, no mas. So with that, we're going to wrap up. Again, I hope you guys enjoy this tech fan. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow, uh, maybe. Depends on how much content we can produce. If we do skip a tech fan, that doesn't mean that I'm not podcasting. You can check it out on the MyMac podcast because, again, this was part two of our coverage of the Macworld Expo, day one. We will have day two tomorrow, definitely on the MyMac.com podcast, if not tech fan as well. So we'll see you guys in 24 hours.